0: Let's see. I got my Bible, my notes, my watch. You got a calendar? <laughs> oh me! Well, well, well. Take your Bibles if you have them, because it's not on the board. Look at Isaiah chapter sixty-one with me, please. I didn't know Chris was that old. No. I believe uh, in my life I've discovered a few things. I haven't learned everything, mind you, but I've discovered a few things. And one of them is, if I leave my door open, people will walk in. And a lot of those people who walk in are Christians. And I've discovered that every Christian is not happy. I've discovered that some of them don't whistle when they walk. Some of them don't sing in the shower, which I sing that song every once in a while in the shower until Janine knocks on the door. All Christians are not happy. And I've noticed too that uh, some, when they come to Sunday school or Bible study or worship service, still aren't happy when they leave. But I believe I've discovered a secret. And I want to share that with you. I believe the mystery of the Christian life needs to be unveiled. And I believe it is done so in the 61st chapter of Isaiah. I believe misery... If I can call it that, I'm not sure if all unhappiness has to do with misery. But I do believe that misery has to produce unhappiness. And I believe there's a secret to getting out of that misery. And I want to share that with you tonight. And those that chose not to be here tonight, they're just going to simply miss it. In Isaiah chapter 61, I want to read three verses. First, second, and third verse. I'm reading from a little bit newer translation because I believe it speaks it loudly and more clearly. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners... "...to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. I believe we can see several things in this passage, and I really don't want to preach tonight. I really want to do more teaching than preaching. And there is a difference. Sometimes I forget what it is. In this particular passage, I see first of all a call. I want you to see it. And it's a personal call. In the first verse, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. Who is that me? I know that it's Isaiah, but as I read it and as you read it, who is that me but you, me and us? Now this verse is speaking to believers. You and I as believers have a call. And I want us to see it. I want us to see because the Lord has anointed me. I think it's time that you and I realize that the Lord has anointed us. We don't always act it. It's not something that you can smell on someone. Sometimes it's not even visible. But God has anointed us. You. He has anointed me. He is giving us, listen to this word, we don't like to hear, authority. Did you know that God has given you the authority to proclaim this word anywhere and everywhere you go? I hear of people finding some unusual places to share the word. Not necessarily open their Bible and read it, but sometimes to quote it. Someone was telling me that in the, uh, one of the senatorial meetings last week, they heard one of the senators get up, and basically what he was doing was teaching a few verses from the Bible concerning government and obedience to government, which brought on great responsibility for those who enforce the government. Anywhere and everywhere. We are anointed, and it's really time that we accept that anointing. I want you to notice something else, though, that these verses say. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. I love that word, bring. Because it does not say some things. It does not say, as they come to me. Bringing means... And insinuates that I take it. Did you get that? That we bring the good news to someone. That's pick up the good news and take it to them. Boy, that hurts, don't it? That's convicting to me. I get under conviction deeply about that, and wonder how often do I bring or do I wait until they come. We'll build a building someday, but until then, and even after we get the building, we're still to bring that good news. I thought about something this afternoon. I was just sitting there in my chair. Well, it's mine when Janine's not in it. And I thought about this. You know why this church, Palmetto Baptist Church, is in this place, geographically speaking? Because we are responsible for this community. You know, there's all kinds of people out there. We're going to get into some of them in just a moment. But we, Palmetto Baptist Church, yeah, we might say, well, Rhema. No, we are responsible for our community. I want you to notice here the personal privilege in this passage. Bringing good news, you notice what it says, to the poor. Let's identify those poor people. Can I just say some of them are spiritually poor? There was a young lady in our church a couple of weeks ago. I did not know her. One of the ladies sitting back there with her on the very back row said, Buddy, do you have a Bible that she can have? I said, I sure do. I ran up my office and got it and ran it back down to her. She was here this morning. She said she came because somebody cared enough to give her a Bible. How simple. I'm going to build y'all for it, you know. <laughs> How simple a thing to do. Didn't really think a lot about it. Simply needing a Bible. Bringing good news to the poor. Spiritually poor. What about the lonely people? They're poor of friends. You get out and you discover there are a lot of people out there that are poor. They have very few friends. Some of them or even among the crowds. I want to challenge you to do something. Sometimes if you can come into this auditorium and walk down this middle aisle and see if you can't single out one person, even though they're in the crowd, they're lonely. Every Sunday morning, there's lonely people right here in this congregation. I think sometimes they come... Because they're lonely. And that's simply the motivation that brings some people to church. And that's okay. I'm not faulting that. I'm just trying to make a point that there are a lot of lonely, poor people, poorer friends. There are some people, too, that are short of resources clothing, food, those kind of things. Gary Wright called me this week and was telling me about someone who needed a dryer. I happen to have one. It's not the prettiest thing in the world, but nothing I ha- except my wife is pretty. Whew. But it works. It's something that someone can use. That's poor for the fact that they needed a dryer to dry their clothes. But people are poor of all kinds. You, you see them. We feed many of them as they come here week after week after week. Bring good news. To the poor, and then it also says in this passage to heal the broken-hearted. Don't you wish you had the gift just to walk down the halls of the hospital and walk into the rooms and say heal, and everybody get up and walk out? Well, I don't know if I do or not. I tell you what, it sure cut down on my fishing time. It sure cut down on my watching my TV. It sure cut down on a lot of other things I do, but the Bible does say that you and I are to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Let's let's see if we can identify the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted, many of them, have experienced broken relationships. There are a lot of people in Palmetto, Georgia, who are brokenhearted. Because of broken relationships. My next door neighbor moved in. He's been there, him and his wife, about three months. And uh, both of them are divorced and they've married each other. Both of them have children of of previous marriages and then they have children. And he was out, I was working in my yard yesterday and he, he came over to tell me about some cats that had been captured. We've got wild cats all around our house. Some guy trapped 13 or 14 of them just yesterday. He wanted to come over and tell me about it. But here's what he said as he began to talk. He says, I'm a prime example of divorce, of broken relationship. I said, explain that. He says, you know what me and my wife do all weekend? She goes that way, I go that way. I go to see my kids, she goes to see her kids. And then we get together trying to see all of the kids together. He says, problem is, my child that I had by my previous marriage lives in Jacksonville, Florida. He says, I just burn up the highway every weekend going to Jacksonville, Florida. They're going to be here, he said yesterday, they'll be here on friend day. If he's not, I told him I was going to choke him, flatten his tires. That's the way you get people to come, you know. Threaten them. A lot of broken hearted people. Some broken hearted because they lost jobs. Have you had conversation just between these walls of some people who have lost their jobs? They don't jump around dancing, Yay! I lost my job. Do they? No. There's some sense of broken heartedness there. Broken hearted. Some are brokenhearted because they are so deeply burdened and concerned with family. Children who have gone astray. Parents who are weak and spiritually weak. Maybe even lost. And they're burdened with those family and friends. They're brokenhearted. He says in this passage listen to this. He says. Proclaim liberty or freedom to the captive. The captive. I got to thinking about, who are the captive. Let's see if we can identify. Those are people in nursing homes, you know. They're captive. I challenge you to go over to the Baptist Manor and go to the back of Baptist Manor and walk down the hall those people can't go. They don't have the freedom to go where they want to and do what they want to. Some even out front, some even in the cottages don't have that total privilege captive. Some shut-ins, I was thinking about that and I'm, I'm honestly uh, guilty sometimes on Wednesday nights while we're in prayer meeting. I simply turn the back of the prayer sheet over and read the names of the shut-ins. Just simply read them when we should be praying for them on Wednesday nights, but Monday through Saturday or Sunday we should be making contact with those shunning, because they're captives. (coughs) What about their caregivers? Somebody, I went to see this uh, week before last, as I knelt down beside them to pray, that person looked at me, kind of shook me, said, I want to ask you to pray for my caregiver too. Sometimes we forget about They are somewhat of captive. I, I, <clears throat> I love going to the upper basketball game and watching those who manage the deaf children there. Peggy was sitting down with me yesterday, Peggy Woodall, and she was telling me of some of the ways in which they're ministering to the deaf children and deaf, deaf adults. I told her. I said, "I'll tell you what. I don't know where you find all of these people." She says, "You know what? We've been around long enough. They're beginning to find us." That's an awesome ministry, and we're doing some of it. But they are captive. They're captive because they're unable to hear. One of the sweetest testimonies I've heard in a long time was a little girl got up yesterday at Upper. How many of you saw that? I know there was some. Wasn't that awesome? The father got up first and uh, commented about how our church is ministered to his little girl. She's in middle school. She got up, at, well, first, and they told the story that she had played upward basketball four years. And now she was playing for her middle school team. The father was so proud of what her, his little girl is, has accomplished and is accomplishing. And he used that word to me as I was talking to him. She was held captive. I thought, boy. So I scratched that in in my note. (laughs) But the passage goes on to say this too. That we're to give freedom to the prisoners. Now, I've already mentioned captive. Let's think about prisoners I think there's a little bit of difference in someone who is captive and someone who is a prisoner, and I want to see if I can uh, clarify that. A prisoner is someone who is strung out, if that's a good word, but, but maybe bound, shackled by past sin and sins. Our Sunday school lesson this morning spoke somewhat of that. Those of you who were in the adult classes. Some people can't accept forgiveness even though God offers and even gives forgiveness. But they're still bound because they can't forgive themselves. They're prisoners. They're prisoners unto themselves. And you and I Given the authority by God to go and minister to them, we can offer unto them freedom. Some people are weighted down in prisoners to their burdens. I know I know what burden is. But I don't know what burden is like some people do. And I thank the Lord for that. I know of a young lady who lives in Noonan. She has two daughters. Not one, but both daughters are in prostitution. At one time she was a Sunday school teacher. She has since resigned feeling inadequate, poor mother. All of those things. She is so burdened that every time I see her, and sometimes when I think of her, it just weights me down. There are people who are so burdened down, they can't even walk. They can't communicate. But it's our responsibility it's mine and your responsibility to take the good news to them and offer unto them freedom from that and those burdens it's interesting too i noticed jimmy this morning he was a preaching he approached a particular part of the passage this morning he says maybe for no particular reason but maybe for a lot of special reason god interjected something in his passage this morning. I notice that God has done that here as well. He says after telling us that we should go and minister to the the, uh, poor and to the brokenhearted and to the captive and to the prisoners, he says this, and also to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. Let me tell you what that says to me. And if I can just say it very quickly and very easily, it's telling me that people are going to receive reward or punishment. And it is our place to go and proclaim that unto them. That day will come, Doug mentioned this morning in Sunday school, white throne judgment, or the Going right before, can you get a hold of that? Going right before God and Him examining you, recalling your good works or your rejection of Christ as Savior. And then He gets back into the ministry that He's called us to, and He says, Comfort all who mourn. I went to a funeral, I didn't preach it, I went to a funeral Friday young boy, 25 years old. I knew him when he was just a young boy, and as he began to reach his teen years, he was wild as a March Hare. That's a rabbit. And uh, he was just wild, on drugs, alcohol, disobedient to his family. And I thought that's what I was going to hear when I uh, got to the funeral. I tried to minister to him. He came to me several times. Sometimes we would take him, he was kind of living with this young girl, and we'd take him groceries, and trying to stay in touch with him. And he moved away. But i tell you, when I got to that funeral, three young men got up and spoke at that funeral and told of the change that had taken place in Jason's life. Boy, I tell you, I was so thrilled to hear that. But I remember, I remember... The mama and the daddy mourning over that young boy before he ever died. And then I saw them mourning because he has died. What about mourning those people who mourn? Maybe it's some people who have been... Can I use the term misused? Don't know what that means? Some people who have been misused, sometimes you can see on a television newscast or one of these sitcom shows or whatever, I don't know what a sitcom is, but where they're interviewing someone and, and these young ladies and young men have told how they have been misused all their lives. And you can see it all over their face. It's not rejoicing, but it's a sense of mourning a sense of mourning. What about people who have lost hope? Have you ever met anybody that's lost hope? One time I entered into this house, this is a number of years ago, phone rang and middle of the night and I got up and put on a pair of blue jeans and t t-shirt and took off because he told me if I didn't get there within a certain allotted time, he was going to shoot himself and his wife and, and I did all I could do to get there as quickly as I could and when I got there and walked in, the man was standing there. The woman was tied with her hands behind her, leaning over the sofa. And when I walked in, he pointed a cannon at me. I think I don't know one gun from the other, but that barrel looked like a cannon to me when it was pointed at me. And he made some uh, some uh, accusations, and then they started laughing. I was ready to give that man's last hope. (laughs) I could feel the anger coming. I wanted to take the pistol away from him and beat him with it. (laughs) Come to find out it didn't have a bullet in it, but that didn't matter to me. I didn't know it. I was very angry. But I tried not to show it. I've seen him... Several times over the years, and that was back in probably the early, late 60s. I've seen him several times since. I want to remind him about it, but you know what? I can't. You know why? Because I see him walking through life, and his whole world has evaporated. He's all alone, he has no hope. His wife has left him. Children won't speak to him. He's buried himself in his own misery. No hope. I've offered him to several that live close to him. Ministers, preachers. Hoping that someday someone can carry unto him the message of hope. There are others that you and I know like that. They just don't have any hope. Listen, when I was in the 8th grade... I didn't have any hope that I'd ever reach the ninth. Y'all know what? No, you don't. Y'all are smarter than that. That's what I thought. Teacher came up to me, Mr. Ernest Bush, a bunch, put his arm around me, took me out in the hall. I thought he was going to send me to the office. That's what they usually did. But he put his arm around me. and He began to talk to me. He was an ex-Marine uh, drill sergeant, tough as nails but I saw something in him that day that I'd never seen before. And I remember that. And it's because he offered me some hope. Just simple words that I can't even remember the words, but I remember the hope that he offered. I think I did pass with an F-minus or something. I, I got through it. Maybe just on my good looks. Hello? Yeah, that's right. Do you know anybody that feels like they've been forgotten? I went by, Bill Creel and I went by one time to see a lady, and uh, I did not know her, and Bill introduced me to her, and uh, she was all alone. I went back to see her one time, and she told me, she says, I thought I'd been forgotten. There are other people, there's people, members of this church that feel as though they've been forgotten. Nobody calls them. Nobody comes to see them anymore. They're on our roads, but long gone. Some of that I know, there's both sides of the story. I, I, I'm tempted. In fact, I think I will. I'm old enough that some things don't matter anymore. <laughs> but uh, some of you all know Carl Bedwell and Cheryl. They're members of our church. Carl Bedwell led the band. He was the band director at Palmetto Baptist Church, I mean, back in Palmetto uh, School uh, years ago. G- worked with Jill, same staff and all. Jill, maybe some others, I don't know. But uh, I've known Carl since the early '60s. And uh, Cheryl's father died, 92 years old. I preached his funeral a few weeks ago. I asked Carl, I said, Carl, why don't y'all come to church anymore? He gave me a few excuses. I won't go into all that. And I said, Carl, I says, have you forgotten the joy that we used to have at Fortified Hills Church? That's where we were attending. And he and I were deacons there. I was trying to recall from the past the good times that he had enjoyed, hoping that that would whet his appetite to renew those. We need to take the message to those like Carl. And then he says something like this, Furthermore, I, li- I like the way he did this. He says, and furthermore, he says, give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Give them a crown of beauty Instead of ashes. Let me tell you, I, put it, I, I want to put it in my own words, okay? Give them a life of purpose and meaning. Joy Strange is not here tonight, but she's one of my favorite people. I want to tell you why. Because she comes up here when she knows... Our uh, mail, what's what's our mail out called? Link. Our link. Y'all know what the link is? That thing you read on a computer or that thing you don't read on a computer. And some of us get it in the mail because we don't know how to use the computer. Okay? She's Joyce comes up here every month and she sits down with Judy or sometimes sits down by her and she folds those. Y'all didn't know that. Maybe a few, but... Most of our church don't know that. And you know what? One time I asked her, I said, Judy, I mean uh, Joyce, why do you do that? She said, well, it's something to do. It gives me, listen, purpose. Uh, Wow. So simple. So simple. Listen, I've got a backyard that needs cut all summer. Anybody want any purpose for your life, you can come cut my grass. We as a people can offer unto people like that who need a purpose and a a sense of meaning for their lives. Ask them to sit down with you and talk and you'll discover some ways in which you can give them that. Give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Give them festive oil instead of mourning. Here's my way I read that. Bring some joy into their lives. Martha Youngblood, I love to see Martha. I don't see her as often as I should. But every time I go, Martha Youngblood says, every time you've come to see me, you laugh. I can make anybody laugh. Pull their nose. Wiggle their ears. Do the kick. You can find some way, somehow... To make someone laugh. And you know what? Laughter is a medicine. And you know that. You don't need me to stand here and tell you. You have yourself have experienced times in your life where somebody has said something or done something that caused you to laugh. And even if not for just a few moments, caused you you to forget your misery. (laughs) Give them festive oil instead of mourning. Give them splendid clothes instead of despair. Thought about that? Splendid clothes. We went to eat with uh, Bobby and Joe Brightwell today, and Joe eats like a horse. Y'all know how horses eat? They don't use their hands. They just put their head down. <laughs> no, I just had to get her. But you know what I noticed about? It? In fact, she's got it on. Notice that gold, long gold necklace. She's got on. Festive. Ding ling ling. Some people dress fancier than others. I don't think that's what it's talking about here. Give them splendid clothes instead of despair. I really believe it's talking about encouraging people. Encouraging people. Church, we need some Barnabases. We need some people who can offer encouragement to others. We've got people walking with their heads down. We need to encourage them. Here's the beautiful thing about it though. The crown of beauty instead of ashes. The festive oil instead of mourning. And the clothes the splendid clothes instead of despair, they all talk of joy and festi- fest- festival. All of those words. What it's saying is, bring joy unto people's lives. Here's the final thing about this though. He says, "...they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him." They will be called righteous trees. Who's going to call them righteous trees? Planted by the Lord to glorify Him. I'll tell you who will. it be God Himself. In other words, we can make a difference in people's lives. But the Bible starts with this passage say, bring this unto them. Bring this. Unto them, there are certain people in our church that do that. I love the uh, older ladies Sunday school class. I doubt if there's a week goes by that that class doesn't call or write a note or sometimes go by and see those who weren't there Sunday. They are a great example for the rest of this church. Bring, he says. Our call is simple. Meet people where they are. I like this. Help them to survive this life in order to get to the next. I didn't, that's not mine. I copied that from somebody. I don't know who it was. But help them survive this life and get to the next. In Isaiah 61, I want to read one verse and I'm going to close. Listen to what it says. Now, understanding that there's veil there's, uh, under, under, uh, unveiled uh, interpretation of this verse, so listen very carefully. They, that's those people we've been ministering to, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. In other words, they're going to be taken out of their misery, as you and I will be too, taken out of the misery and brought to a life of worthfulness. If you're a miserable Christian, if you're not happy, there's some work for you to do. And you don't need me to tell you because God's telling you. You'll become a happy person. I promise you. God promises you. Because that's what He wants of us. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I want to do and the less it seems like I can do. And constantly I'm asking God, God, Just show me some things that I can do and cause me to forget those things I can't. Because you see, you can sit in your chair and gripe and grumble all you want about the things you cannot do. And when you're doing that, you're forgetting about those things you can do. Janine's going to have knee surgery, March the 23rd. I'll sure be glad when it's over. She walks so slow, but she can still get up and cook something for about ten minutes. I don't know what those things are in a bag. What I'm just saying is she's made adjustments. And I think that's what we, the church, needs to do. Constantly making adjustments. No, I can't do all the things I used to do, but some things I can. Did you hear me? Some things we can. Some things you can. I want to close with this thought. A lady told me this morning, sitting right here in this auditorium, she said it sure is hard to come to church And I said, oh, is it? She said, yeah. She says, but if I'm not here, somebody else may think they don't have to be here either. I thought that's pretty good. You know what might happen if you got off your sofas and chairs and I would get off my sofas and chairs and began to minister to these who I've mentioned to tonight, somebody else may come by and join you by the hand. And say, let me go with you. And then another. And then another. And then another. And then we've accomplished what God wants to accomplish. We're reaching our community. The very purpose He put us here for. Do you believe that? Or am I just blowing wind? Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, in one short passage of Scripture, You've given us the reason for living. Why did not I die and just go to heaven when I was saved, when I received Christ as my Savior? Because You left me here to reach others for the cause of Christ. So simple. Forgive me for making it so difficult. Help us as a church to wake up. And see those around us who need us and need the message that we may bring the message to them and do it quickly. Please, Lord, if there's someone here tonight that maybe has never received Christ as their Savior, let this be their night. Simply trusting what You've done for them the way of Jesus Christ, giving His life upon a cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected to life, and offering us the same. Maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to come forward and place their membership right here in this church to serve you. God, we pray that that would be so. Maybe there's someone here tonight that would not walk an aisle but would make such a commitment as we've spoken of tonight to get involved in the ministry that you've called each and every one of us to. That's our prayer. That's our purpose for being here tonight. And we voice our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.